0: you're listening to the iphc leadership cast
1: Thank you for being with us for another uh, installment of the International Pentecostal Holiness Church podcast. Uh, my name is Travis Rutland. I'm the Director of Communication for the IPHC. And uh, we have with us today uh, Reverend Stacy Hilliard. Uh, Stacy is the Director of African American Ministries and also the Director of Ch- Church Multiplication for the IPHC. And we're thrilled to have him with us today. Stacy, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you uh,
0: for having me, Travis. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Thank you. Um, for. Uh, well, February is Black History Month so we kind of wanted to sit down and talk with you about the some some issues surrounding uh, the black community and ways that the IPHC is reaching into that community and things that all churches can do so first of all I wanted to just get some facts from you uh, how many how many black uh, pastors do we have and also how many black churches are there in the in the IPHC currently
0: Well we have uh, 26 um, African American pastors who okay. are. Currently pastoring 26 um, African American churches across America. Now there's a total membership, a total African American membership of
1: 2,173. Wow, wow that's great. That's mm-hmm. that's great numbers. What what are some of the things that, that you are doing at the national level, maybe to help these churches and to support them? Um, things that you know we're doing from the from the headquarters of the IPHC.
0: Well, we provide training in the areas of of church planting and uh, church multiplication. And we also uh, put on conferences to promote uh, fellowship uh, in the African-American context. And we encourage our conference leaders uh, to do the same. And, and we speak with them, uh, our conference leaders, on a, an ongoing basis um, to help them um, identify uh, some of those things that may that may work in their particular context.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Do do you find um, we were talking before, but do you find when you said it works in their context, do you find that there are certain things maybe that that work in African American churches that that don't work in in white churches, or, or or are there things that you've encountered where you say this is something that really works for this particular group or this particular culture? Have you identified those?
0: Well, w- when I when I say that uh, we, we, we speak with our conference leadership uh, concerning uh, context, the African-American community is very complex. Mm. And what works with one African-American subgroup, if you will, uh, uh, will not be effective sure. if uh, you're targeting a different African-American subgroup. Um, over the years, particularly since the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. uh, what we found is that the African American community is as diverse a community, mm. uh, perhaps as there is in the U.S.
1: Mm. I think that's a great. I think that's a great point. Often, when you're not part of a, a certain group, or you're part of a group that you know that is different from another group, you think that a lot of times everybody in that other group thinks or acts exactly the same. So I think that's a great point that you mentioned that, that, you know, something that maybe works for an urban African-American church may not work for a rural African-American church because they're, like you said, they're a very diverse group of people. So I think that's a great point.
0: In some cases they're as different as night and day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's a great thing. So one of these, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how do you think that, um, that, white and black churches, um, can, can work together in the same community? Are there, are there things that maybe you have experienced or, or churches you've been to where they were doing, how could they, maybe not, I'm not talking about necessarily coming together and worshiping together, which is a great thing to do as well, but how can they work together to improve their community? Is there, have you found certain projects that work better?
0: Um, one word for that, Travis, and that's dialogue. Um, leaders of, of Anglo congregations and African-American congregations that uh, desire to partner to to impact a community just have to come together and talk. Mm. And um, out of that uh, conversation or out of those conversations will start to emerge um, things that uh, they can come together, um, efforts that they may be able to partner in uh, that will, will go far Mm. In in impacting um, uh, that community or whatever community um, uh, they may be looking to um, um, minister to
1: or in. That's great because a lot of times we come with our own agenda and we say, you know, we want to do this. Help us do this, as opposed to saying, you know, how can we, you well, know, work together? I think your your point of dialogue is great. Well,
0: one of the things as it relates to. Um, ministering to a community, and this is not peculiar to the African-American context. Um, however, it is very significant, May be more significant um, when you're looking to minister in the African-American mm-hmm. um, context, is recognizing the needs of that community. Yeah. For quite some time, our approach to ministry has been to determine what it is um, we feel, um, The community needs, and Mm. and we go into that community with a preconceived notion or idea about how we're going um, to meet that need. When in essence, it could very well be um, perceived um, um, in the community as not a need at all. So, one of the things um, in, particularly in talking with um, Anglo leaders about ministering in the African American context, about is Um, the importance of doing what we call um, listening surveys. Mm. And that's where you send uh, people into the African American community and you just ask a series of questions. Mm. And from those questions uh, you will start to identify uh, the need or needs um, of the community. And then you equip yourself uh, to meet that need or those needs. And um, we find that that um, really, really gives us credibility uh, fairly quickly um, as we uh, go about um, um, impacting that community.
1: That's great because, yeah, I mean, it does give you credibility because it proves that you want to to help them at the point of their need, because if you show up with food and they go, no, what we need are shoes, or if you show up with shoes and what they say is, no, we need we need this or that, then you really are not really helping any community you're trying to help, any any group you're trying to help. If you if you dictate the terms of your help as opposed to asking them, so I think that's that's a great thing. Um, now, on that same on that same um, kind of vein of questioning, on that same line of questioning, we talked about working together, but but maybe. Um, Anglo churches, how how do you, is there a, besides we talked about dialogue, we talked about listening uh, tours, like you said, going around and listening, asking questions, but ha- have you found that there are, now again, you said the group is very diverse, but have you found that there are certain um, ways that that Anglo churches can specifically reach out to the African American community around them? Is there is there certain things that have, that Work, or is there certain programs or or ways that they can kind of impact that community around them? Is there things that you've seen that have that have that have worked or been beneficial?
0: There again, with the diversity that exists in the African American community, um, I try as much as I can to stay away from specifics, yeah, because the needs are going to be so so varied. Um, what I would suggest is that as quickly as um, an Anglo congregation uh, that's looking to to minister um, in um, and among this this people group um, would would do is identify, identify a leader mm. in that particular community with a heart for um, the identified need, Um, or needs as they relate to the questions that we mentioned earlier, Uh, if you identify a key leader um, in that community, um, explain to that leader uh, or leaders uh, what it is you want to accomplish, uh, they will give you the credibility just by word of mouth Mm. that you would need to be able to effectively, in most cases, to be able to effectively minister in that context. Um, So it's vitally important, it's vitally important that um, uh, along with equipping yourself to do what it is you know you you need to do, um, it's that you identify a key leader or key leaders Mm. that can um, give you the credibility that's going to cause the community to coalesce, if you will, around um, your effort.
1: That's good, that's good, because I think a lot of times we approach outreach not to just a particular people group maybe, but any kind of an outreach, we kind of approach it with a shotgun approach where you just kind of do everything, do a little of everything and very wildly and, and you're saying in this particular case, with this, you know, specific group, a much more focused sort of laser, you know, focusing on a particular leader or leaders will help you Reach into that community a lot quicker and a lot a lot better. Tremendously. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Now we were talking before. You were a police detective for twenty three years. You were before that. You were in the Marines. So you have a, a, a police background. Uh, Doctor Beecham was telling me that just I guess last week he was with you at Christian churches together, the meeting, and um, you were speaking on the uh, massive sort of incarceration. Problems that we have, we have this huge, almost prison nation in America. So, yes. sp- talk to us a little bit about that, and then talk to us also about what you think all IPH churches can do to to reach that that maybe that demographic. What they can do to help the prisoners, maybe their their families that are on the outside. I just know that this is a topic that is important to you, so I wanted you to talk to us about it a little bit.
0: Well, um, back in the Early 90s, and and this was actually the residue, if you will, of of a movement that um, um, gained traction in the 80s, where we decided to fight uh, this war on drugs. Right. Um. And in the early 90s, I was actually working um, as a um, vice and of narcotics officer there in in North Carolina, but but there was a a A movement uh, to really really combat this drug related activity mm. um, in our communities across america, and um I think uh, the people who um really moved that ball down the field were were, were well intentioned people yeah um really desiring to um do something good um for the country but there were some laws enacted. And some liberties, if you will um authorizations I should say extended to law enforcement officers that um over the long term we think um had a counter mm. um productivity um about it, in that um it it led to the incarceration of of more than two million people in our wow. in our prison system today. And so many of those are there for extended periods of time who um, were were, in fact, guilty of crimes, um, but crimes that should probably not have landed them in prison for the number of years um, that they're now serving. Yeah. And um, and most of that was due to uh, what uh, would be called mandatory minimums. Yeah. What mandatory minimums did is take away the judge's discretion which in my opinion is one of the most powerful tools um, a judge has, because by the end of a trial, the judge has heard all the evidence mm-hmm. and which enables him or her uh, to render a decision as it relates to sentencing mm-hmm. based on a totality of the circumstances. Right. But uh, mandatory minimums took that off the
1: table. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Before that, they could use their own discretion. But with this mandatory sentencing, it, they, they were forced to Give these, well, you know, people this this kind
0: of sentence. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. It took away uh, their discretion. Yeah, and so when you do that, um, you, you you end up in a situation uh, like what we have today, mm. and that is, in my opinion, um, a lot of people um, still in prison who should perhaps uh, not be there. Now, I want you to understand: there are people um, in prison today who went to prison. Um, under those sentencing guidelines, who should be in prison yeah. for the rest of their life? Sure, but there are others who um, I dare say uh, should not
1: be there. Yeah, yeah. So, so how? Um, and unfortunately, a disproportionate number of, of those in prison are African American males. Sure. So, so what what can churches do to maybe? I don't know, to reach out to those guys that are not only on the inside and women, but also the the families that are still on the outside. Is is there, is there, have you seen programs or is there ways that you think churches can get more involved in, in helping that? Like you said, 2 million, that's a, you know, that's a country almost behind bars. So what what are there, are there things that you found that the churches can do? Well, I think what we
0: can do Mm. um, is to educate uh, our churches um, on these realities, and and just leave it to um, the local congregations to determine what their level of involvement uh, should be. I think um, there, with an initiative to heighten awareness around this issue, yeah. uh, just by virtue of us being good, holy people who who want to see. Um, justice um, extended to, to everyone, mm. um, I think once people are aware of, of what's really going on um, there will be a desire to do uh, something about it but that will have to be determined at the local church level yeah. and we'll just have to allow God to do in the hearts of those uh, local church pastors and leaders yeah. what it is he wants to do in order for them to impact uh, the communities in which in which they serve. yeah. Uh, one of the things that we have seen um, some churches do, we did this in North Carolina, was to really reach out uh, to some of these folk who were transitioning out of prison. Mm. Now, some of these people are going to get out. We're not saying that they're all going to die in prison. right? But um, if you would develop some program to really, really, To catch these people on the tail end of their sentences and start ministering to them and to their families and identifying those needs and helping them um, make the transition back, not just back into the world, but back into uh, the family um, unit and the family situations in which they're going to be coming into, I think it'll be most helpful.
1: Excellent. That's great. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much for being with us. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you awesome. for stopping by. Thank you, Stacy. Yes, thank,
0: thank you for listening to the IPHC
1: Leadership Cast. For more information on the Leadership Cast and other church-related resources, please visit www.iphc.org.